1: Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live outrage.
0: from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage, Matters.
2: Mortgage Matters. Hi, good morning, everybody. Happy June. Happy June gloom to you. I think it's it might currently just be limited to south of the grade. It was sunny in Atascadero. Was it? Yeah, I had to take off my sunglasses coming down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> in welcomed me into the cloud with a little bit of yeah. precipitation. I mean, I didn't get Getting to use ready to fire wiper. up that
3: air conditioner? <laughs> Not yet. No.
2: They said Monday though, upper 90s. Did you see that?
3: I didn't. No, that's I don't have to worry hot. about that kind of thing.
2: That's very hot. Yeah, that's warm. That's hotter than I care to be. Upper 90s.
3: How you doing, Dan? I'm really good. Yeah? Really good. What's go- why so good? Just because I'm here. Just just, just because I'm here. Just super happy. Yeah. All right. All right. Can I take a moment in the beginning of the show to complain? Oh, okay. Yeah. The tribune. So I'm I'm a creature of habit, right? Ever since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. I have this morning ritual. I wake up before I take a shower, before I do anything.
2: Before I put on my
3: makeup. I get my breakfast and my newspaper and I sit down. And I read the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Uh And in particular, I go to the sports page and I digest every number that is in there. All the statistics and the box scores. I love it. Mm -hmm. So this week, the Tribune... They got rid of the sports section. Got rid of nearly all of the sports section. What they got rid of was all the box scores. I mean, really, the only thing that's in there is like local there there might be like one big local news uh, sports news story mm-hmm. um, they have very um, abbreviated recaps on only the local like baseball teams like the a, you know the california teams mm-hmm. you know maybe a little news snippet here about the football team maybe it's like because it's being
2: printed elsewhere now fresno yeah they're like they printed in fresno yeah since
3: we don't have time to well, Do all
2: this and ship it. Something's got to go. So they
3: had a letter from—I assume it was from the editor. I don't really remember. Um, that was on the front of the Monday paper to let us know about this change. That mm-hmm. they—they f- believed that you know most most of you who are interested in the sports page already get most of your information from online. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I get it online too but but that never gets my fingers dirty no it doesn't get my fingers dirty it's you know i you can't smell your sometimes score. i'm kind of rushing over i don't know i it's like that's my time there's no one bothering me in the morning well, i can isn't sit that, there in peace and just look at all of it is that once. kind
2: of a dangerous um slide though right there because for them couldn't you argue then that other people are getting most of their other news online too and you should right. just call it a day and quit printing news
3: yeah i would agree i mean it's Yeah, if you're getting news online, you can get it all online. You're not only getting your sports online. So now I'm faced with this dilemma. I need newspaper to start my barbecue, but I no longer (laughs) have a use for it because they do have something called Sports Extra on the online version. So the online version has all the box scores, all the more detailed um, recaps of games and things like that. So that's really where I'm at. But I guess that maybe I'll just get like the Sunday paper, so I have some fuel for oh, the barbecue.
4: I have a feeling that the get days of the print too. of the newspaper are kind of few and you know numbers. I
3: just I don't know what it is. Right. I really like the newspaper.
4: I don't know. It's just a big and, and uh, there's an economic thing here too, actually for you guys. Um, how much money are they actually saving by printing it in Fresno when they have to truck it? Well, over I'll tell
3: here? you how much they're losing. Okay, because mm-hmm. I pay at least
2: seven dollars a year.
3: I pay about two hundred. I think it's like two hundred and. Forty bucks for yeah. seven day a week delivery. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and that includes the online edition as well. The online edition is like fifteen bucks yeah. a year. Yeah. Wow. So they're gonna be losing about two hundred and thirty bucks from me. Yeah. Huh. Because I was so content to pay my two hundred bucks and get my newspaper every day Will of the year. Will you
2: be inclined? Um, or less inclined to advertise now, given that it's lost the personal meaning to you? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just, it seems, I, I don't
4: know what they're actually saving because they, and maybe somebody from the Trumpians out there, but, but they're having, they don't have the plants over here anymore, but they still have to maintain the plant, the building, because that's where the reporters are.
3: Yeah, and from what they're, are they doing away? they're not doing away with news altogether. They're still yeah. going to have. They're just people. not just printing
2: don't. it here. And from but what's what I the under-
3: difference is that costing them more money to not print it here or less money. Well, yeah. from what
2: I understand, those machines are um, old yeah. and they're very expensive to maintain. And you end up in a position where you either got to replace it mm-hmm. or just keep throwing money down the repair hole. Yeah, and they can't anymore. Yeah. So they're the. To keep it in circulation meant to allow somebody else to print it. That's what I heard.
3: My mom, one of our most loyal listeners, has sent me a text here. And she said the Sacramento Bee just did the same thing, saying stats are only online. And I know they're not having their paper printed in Fresno.
2: That's not that smart.
3: I don't think so either. I think if they're trying to... If they're moving uh,
2: everybody to online, then... Then
3: there's way better sources than... The, I mean, like huh. when I do get my news online, it's generally there are local, I get local news from the Tribune or KSBY or a couple of other sources, right? So now they're competing when when they were the printed newspaper they weren't competing with anyone they were the printed newspaper
2: i love how passionate dan is about the newspaper this right now
3: this is 37 years of my life well i can't probably claim the first few years yeah 35 35 years of my life i've been <laughs> reading the newspaper every single morning yeah that's hard and it's um i'm i'm struggling with it as you can see man Old habits die hard. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe, maybe no you should just cares. take the Tribune's advice and start like going online. Well, I, uh, I'm seriously considering it. It's what they want you to do? They... I feel like breakfast is going to be a lot lonelier <laughs> without um, your paper. Yeah, Dan's may... going
4: to start a recovery group for <laughs> <laughs> recovering newspaper well, addicts.
2: You could <laughs> take up a subscription to one of the other papers, though.
3: Lo, like a Washington, like a out of, like a New York Wall Times, Journal, or Wall, Wall Journal, kind of thing. thing. That might be, yeah, I can maybe do that.
2: That's what my grandpa does. He gets I local wonder if paper they have ditched the, the co- sports. I, I don't know. I might have to try it out. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, starter logs you can use for your fire.
3: I mean, so, I need like just for the charcoal. For
2: that thing. Yeah. Excellent. When you said you wanted to take a couple minutes here, just at the beginning of the show, to get something off your chest. You didn't chest. think
3: it was serious, did no, you? No,
2: I, I I, thought this it was... a
3: serious matter for me. I thought it
2: was very serious. I didn't think this is what we were going to talk about. I thought you were going to talk about the home run competition on Wednesday night.
3: <laughs> Jason had the career game, softball game of his life. Wow. Four for four, three home runs.
4: Damn, Jason, way to go.
3: Equaled his career total in homers right there in one game. And it's true. He's laughing, but it's true. <laughs> oh, my. I don't do it this. was quite an impressive display, I must admit. Oh, man. I, I didn't know. And then so everyone on the bench says, Jason, why aren't you doing this every game? He's like, well, I never tried. I never tried to hit home runs.
2: I don't try to hit home runs. I try to consistently hit base hits. You know, I'm a round the bases kind of guy, station-to-station.
4: Station. Yeah, but you hit some hell-and-runs. So why don't you just go for it? Maybe I will now.
2: <laughs> That's
4: fun.
3: <laughs> Good oh, times. Man. All right, now that you okay. know a
2: little bit about our lives. Yeah. Yeah, now let's learn a little bit of <laughs> something about something
3: else. There we go. Um, Gosh. Today was, or this was kind of a brutal week for um, interest rates, was it not? (laughs) Indeed it was, Hopefully all of your clients have locked in their interest rate um, prior to Monday. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Good, Um, because this week we saw rates move higher by about a quarter of a point.
2: Yeah, time to get back in touch uh, with your loan officer if you're like, pre-qualified and not yet in a transaction that's locked um the the climate has shifted a little bit we, this week i mean we're we've officially updated the message to be that
3: 30 year fixed is about four percent now uh the national news says four and a quarter is the number well i mean, four and a quarter and granted it's it varies depending on region and you know who's the borrower and but rates
2: are the highest they've been in all of twenty fifteen. Yep. This is the, um, the so, twenty
3: fifteen high. Yeah. And are we going back? Oh yeah. You yeah. think we're coming oh, back? Yeah. Again? You bet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
2: don't know. I it's hard. it's really hard to say. Um I did I the other morning though, in the middle of this bloodbath that was interest rates this week, I I have um On my phone, I've got Bloomberg on there with the alerts set up. Do you do the Bloomberg app?
3: I don't have the alerts, but I do have the app. Yeah. So
2: in the morning, I see like five quick little things on average that are like Bloomberg economic news, and if one of them really uh, sparks my attention, then swipe it right, and I'm right there to the article. IMF was urging the U.S. to keep their interest rates low through all of 2015 and that. the first half of 2016. And so I thought to myself, here we go. That's great news That's for great us. news for us. And, um, you know, I, right there in the face of that, we continued to see um, bond prices moving in a way that interest rates just kept getting higher. And I just am thinking, hmm. I started wondering then, could that increase in rates that are happening in spite of the Fed's rate movement, could that end up leading the Feds to have to move just to to act and keep up? I I don't think so. We always think in terms of the Fed making policy that moves the market rather than reacting to the market moving. Uh, But... You know, nonetheless, I, I couldn't help but remind myself that I saw an article just a month a month ago that was basically about everyone that's bellyaching about interest rates to kind of take a step back and remember real quick that we're talking now about a, a radical increase to 4% 30-year fixed. Um, if you put that into perspective, it's still phenomenally low. Historically, it's some of the lowest it's ever been. Um so, you know, it's it's really easy to bellyache about a little bit of movement. But the reality of it is these rates are still plenty low. Um, and from a lot of the reports that I read, many of the um, many U.S. homeowners have interest rates higher than 5% and have not refied anyway. There's like um, millions of people. I think they said what did they there was 700 million people or something have rates that are that high and are not. Um, refinancing anyway. So,
3: yeah, along those lines, I saw there was a report from Freddie Mac where they were reporting on the fourth quarter of last year uh-huh. and just refinance activity. And they said the average mortgage interest rate reduction in the fourth quarter on a refi was about 1.3 percentage points. Yeah. So, so that's the people... fact that it's gone up a quarter, people can still save on average a point.
2: Right. Which is pretty great, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, not to mention, I think there's an awful lot of people that, that got into this market a few years ago and with a minimum down payment have some kind of mortgage insurance. Um, so this is kind of that opportunity. With the low rates, while they're still low, yes, they're not the lowest that they've been in recent history, but they're still very low, um, it... it preserves an opportunity for people to be able to uh, get rid of their mortgage insurance or sell their house and buy a new one within the comfort of a tight interest rate range. So, um, you know, I, all in all, I think it'd be fine. But specifically though, Dan, I do think that um, what we're seeing is a little bit of a bounce. We're testing those new upper limits. And I do think we're likely to see some, Minor improvements at times, but um, not. Are we going back to three and a quarter or three and a half? I really don't think so. Yeah, I, um, I
3: agree with but you. But I
2: do. I think we could chop around the four percent mark for a period of time, and um, and I think it's a good place for the for the market to be.
3: Yeah, you you made the, I don't know. It was kind of a question or statement about will the market's moving force the feds? No. the feds are going to do what the feds are going to do. Yeah. And, you know, if anything, I think the markets are trying to, the markets have this tendency to bet or anticipate maybe is the better word, um, what kind of policy moves are coming, coming ahead. That's how they make their money by getting, guessing and getting things right. And so I think that that's what we're seeing here a little bit is anticipating something in September or maybe December of this year. But so interestingly, though, I can't, I just
2: can't mentally, I can't get off of this. Um, Just last week, we learned that the GDP for the first quarter was negative. So we've paved the way. We've officially um, got half of what it takes to have a recession now. (laughs) I mean, if you stop and think about that. Think about all of those alarmists that were saying that we're headed for a double dip recession. Remember that? Yeah, Those guys were around, and we laughed them off. But as the true definition, I mean, we're halfway now with with a quarter of negative GDP. You're halfway to what it means to be in a recession.
3: And last week, I shared what the second quarter projection was, and I don't remember the exact number, but I remember it not being great.
2: It's not 3.5%. No, it wasn't. And if you need to make up for little brother first quarter and get their 35 it wasn't 7%. So I mean the the reality here is like I, I'm watching these rates go up at the same time that I'm reading about um, the that our economy is reading in what could be defined as a as a recession. So I'm like, well, what then is causing these rate hikes? Part of it is just the mere uh, speculation that the Feds are going to raise rates. So, like you said, you've got uh, those those people that make their living off of betting kind of betting on their best assumptions about where the economy's headed that's kind of really what's going on here is that we're we've already as a as a, an economy we've already given ourselves the higher rates just because we believe they're coming and we're not sure when kind of a strange phenomenon um so yeah i mean there's, there's it's
3: become pretty apparent to me that the folks who do the trading on wall street really are hungry for the, the next thing the environment to change yeah they're ready for the next thing they're ready yeah. for the next move every time there's anything that's that's a glimmer of the next move being imminent the the markets react so wildly and then when there's something that kind of pulls us back like negative gdp it's like ah oh, well it was it was cold yeah. It was really cold in the but winter. But did you see
2: GDI? <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: So, well, and imagine though, I mean all of these guys all you hear, you've you've heard for years is that rates are going to go up. Now's the time. Mm-hmm. Get in there. Um this is a great time to invest in this. <laughs> it's always a great time to invest in that. And oh, did you recently invest and lose? Then you should rebuy. An add-on. You should and, double down. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you did you invest and win? No, don't sell. Don't cut yourself short. You should continue to invest. Um, it's just so rarely ever the thing where somebody in an advisory capacity says, hey, pull out, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> win, lose, or draw. You just need to go on the sidelines. We're in a volatile, weird place here. Nobody really knows what's gonna happen. The talking heads keep telling us that this is how we reassure you, but nobody really knows. <laughs> nobody says that. I always like to bust up the realtors because the the realtors it, um, on their like the National Association member in like 2007, 2008. 2000, It's like they had those fence-sitter commercials, if you're on the fence, now's the time to get off. And, you know, in the big picture, (laughs) sure, (laughs) over time it was right. But there is definitely some purchases made in 2007, 2008, 2009 that were catching the downhill slide for sure. (laughs) So, you know, it's like – but the people that are involved in the industry have no choice but to be the comfort blanket and run around telling everybody, oh, no, this is – I mean, we don't. We wouldn't say it's normal, but you're going to be just fine. Just go ahead and transact.
3: It's so funny. It's it's really true too. I, I, um, read a book. I I don't know if it was Liars Poker or a different one. It was by Michael Lewis. Guy does some big, good baseball books and stuff like that too. Um, and he was talking about his firsthand experience trading. For Solomon Brothers on Wall Street back in, I think it was the 70s or something. And he, it was exactly, that was the picture he was painting. These young kids who had no life experience, who were just sitting there figuring out new ways to tell people to invest. Yeah. And they had no clue what was actually going on. They were just, they were just, you know, trying to get people to invest. That's it. Well, I mean, you have one job. That's right. <laughs> And then and because you need
2: to invest, you know, what we can do is diversify you. Some of this, some of that. I mean, it, I I get it. And I certainly don't mean disrespect to anybody. Um, it is one of the things, though, that I've always really enjoyed about the loan business is, you know, if you need to buy a house, you re- you need to be able to afford it. So that's our primary goal. Make sure if we give you money, you're not going to go blow it. Um, so it's a sort of a mathematical thing. Can you do it or not? Sure. Um, should you or not, man, that's up to you. We figured out that yes, you can qualify for it. Is it the right season and climate for you to be stepping out and making this purchase? That's not up to me. Uh, we, we're going to make sure that the house is worth it. You qualify. Here's your rates. Um, then when somebody comes in to refi, so it's a real simple thing. Well, what are you doing here? You're either need some money for something or another, or you're, refinancing because it's a lower rate or you're, you know, or both or something. It's very mathematical. There's never been a season where, you know, we're in there saying you, you got to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I do think that many people want to believe there's a difference, though, Um, from what I'm saying. Like that, uh, you know, that we talked people into the stated income loans and the uh, no-doc loans and all that kind of thing. But <clears throat> I don't really recall it that way. Um. That being said, I wasn't a loan officer yeah, on the front lines. It's hard during to that say because
3: I felt very disconnected from the sales side of things. I remember right. training salespeople. I remember doing all the backroom stuff, the you know, the underwriting and the selling of loans and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I didn't I have a hard time knowing how it was sold to the customer. I got consumer. a little
2: bit into the sales side of it in two thousand six when I was going out with my salespeople and stuff, and and by and large It wasn't as much trying to convince anybody, but the game at that point was like, um, we can out crazy that last lender. (laughs) Like you're waiting in the lobby to see one lender coming out of a shop where they're telling somebody about all the new stuff. And I don't know what that guy said, but um, you can be out of bankruptcy by one day with this program. So it was like, yeah, continue to to provide products that were um, less and less dependable. But not really going to somebody saying, hey, you, you know, you, you should... qualify
3: for this, but you should be here. That yeah. wasn't happening. No.
2: Not, I didn't see that so much. With a stated income loan, you could have anything you want. <laughs> that's not that's not good advice. I'm sure that happened, though. Like the old, wait a minute, you're going to let me make up my income and that's how you're going to qualify me? I was here for a $500,000 house. And now I'd like a million dollar house. You know that happened to some degree. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's time for a commercial break. Um, man, I cannot believe it is already July.
3: It's June, though.
2: Dang, I'm ahead <laughs> I'm of the schedule. Not quite July. <laughs> <laughs> I was why, checking that's why you, you can't believe I boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was checking you guys. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can see right here that it's June 6, 1977. It doesn't no, say not June. 1977. It says 6-6 <laughs> Yeah, well 6 is June, Dan. Right. But you that's Somebody not what you get said. this guy a newspaper. She <laughs> <Somebody> said. <laughs> yeah, June 6,
4: 1977. I was wow. just
2: testing you guys. Yeah, see? <laughs>
3: 1977 that's final
2: right. year. That's what
3: the F is for. Mm-hmm.
2: If you final would like year. to
3: call in and join the conversation in June, you can call us at 543-8830. We'll be right back to take your calls and talk more about mortgage matters.
0: Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543 8830 or 800 549 5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters
2: on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing.
3: To home, just call 543-LOAN, just call 543-LOAN, we're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast, Central Coast Lending.
5: What a state
3: of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state,
0: State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. you're tuned into Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Centrica Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800 549 5832. Now, back to the show.
2: All right, everybody, welcome back. If you want to call and ask a question, something mortgage-related, ideally, real estate, mortgage-related, um, those are the best questions for us. 543-5626? Six, six. No. 543-8830. Three, eight, eight, three, if you want <laughs> loan help, that's 5626. Six. There we go. Uh, that that <laughs> wow. will get you a loan nice, officer in Dave. our office. Wow. Five four three eight eight three zero is this number here? I, I now I know you got the June July thing just wrong. I just I don't feel that smart today <laughs> at all. Um, all right, well we have a first phone call here. We have Laura calling from Atascadero. Good morning.
5: Yes, um, I had a question. Is it true that it's harder to get uh, loans on modulars that are older?
2: Um. It, I can tell, I, I always suspect when anybody asks about a modular home, I, I always suspect that there could be some confusion in the actual property type. Um, and so le- let me just start by saying this, that when you say modular home, are you talking about a home that's like uh, perhaps towed in halves or so to the property and assembled on a foundation there? Yes. Okay. That, by definition, is really a manufactured home, which is quite different than a modular home. Modulars are built in a factory, but they're built in pieces, um, not halves, and they don't have axles attached to them or a tongue or anything like that. Um, Those are actually treated just like stick-built homes. What you're describing is a manufactured home, and, yeah, there's a few things to know about that. I mean, first of all, HUD in July of 76, I believe it was, um, implemented standards for manufactured housing, and they had to meet some basic standards to be considered um, livable. And so manufactured homes that predate that HUD date in July of 76, those are called pre-HUD homes. Um, And we're actually able to lend on Homes as old as 1970. So basically anything from 70 to 76 is going to be pre-HUD. Those are pretty tricky to lend on, and there aren't a lot of ways to do that. Um, Something that is newer than 76 is considered in conformance with those guidelines. Those are a lot easier to lend on. But still, in the whole world of home financing... All manufactured home loans are kind of tricky. The terms are generally a little bit shorter, the interest rates are a little bit higher. And to give you an idea of what I mean, typical term for a manufactured home is twenty years. And if you're seeking a fixed rate mortgage, you're generally looking at somewhere in the seven and a half percent range today, maybe even a little bit higher for, you know, different credit
3: profiles or down payments.
5: But if we, so about three percent higher than the normal.
3: Well, I want to I want to jump in here. Um, it depends on if we're on owned land versus leased land. Sure. Um, if you're on owned land and the home is on a permanent foundation, then it actually can qualify for Fannie Mae financing. And in that, if it if it does meet the Fannie Mae requirements, then you're actually looking at an interest rate that's pretty comparable to a normal single family. There might be. An eighth to a quarter point higher in rate. Sometimes, though, that's not the case, um, and you can do the same. You know, as little as five percent down. Um, you have those options available. You can do FHA financing on those with as little as three and a half percent. Provided down.
2: that it's like a what Dan's describing is a, a lot in a neighborhood that you would own and and have just like a normal stick built home. Um, yeah. And that's a great correction, Dan. When when I was first describing this to you, Laura, I'm I'm speaking more about um, manufactured homes that typically are going to be in a park or a neighborhood, where they that's what they all are. Where you're paying a space rent. Um, which,
5: this is on privately
2: owned property. Yeah, if it's on privately owned property, then that does open up a few other programs to you, um, like Fannie Mae and FHA. Um, where then you can get a lot more competitive rate stuff. And there are some requirements, and those ones will definitely not lend on a property older, where the home is older than 1976, though. they, That's a firm line there for those true agency loans.
5: Okay. Um, if you leave your number again, I'll have my friends check on it.
2: Yeah, it's 543-LOAN, it's which is... 5435626 6. and and certainly have them call where we can really look at the specifics of it and figure out exactly what the options are um and and that'll be a lot more helpful.
5: Okay, thank you very much.
2: All right, thank you. Thanks for calling. Yeah. We always have so much confusion on That's the, the first
3: thing. It's mobile manufactured yeah.
2: modular and people Whenever use those calls, words interchangeably. We, ha- we have to clarify that
3: because yeah. Even realtors, I mean even people who are in this business, even other loan officers don't always understand the differences. Yeah, totally. And you know what
2: else is just about equally confusing in the world of housing is when I see people um they'll call something a condo <laughs> just because it like there's a shared wall or it looks like a condo or it was inexpensive. They'll, they'll oh well that well that's my condo. Um, and then we get in there and figure it out. See, condos are very different than your normal single-family residence where you – in a condo, you own your airspace. Like, you own the air inside of your walls. And typically, your HOA even maintains your roof and paints the exterior of your building. They they could even be responsible for your landscape maintenance outside. Um, you don't really have a property line where you would see the dot, dot, dots around your property. Like, this is mine. Don't step over that line. You don't really have that in a condo. What you own is uh, a divided interest in the overall project. And then your your true right of possession is to the interior space between your walls. Um, you can build a, a planned unit development where the... They attach the buildings, and from the road, they look just like a condo, but there is a defined property line, and you do own the exterior and the exterior land around your place. And it is not possible to tell from the street which is which, or from inside, for that matter. Uh, This is something where... At the original um, building of that property, they went under one legal definition or another, and they have very different legal ramifications, and it matters so much. Just this week, we had somebody call in and say, I need a condo loan. Well, condos are um, inherently a little bit more risky, so they've got some pricing ads that you don't have in a PUD, even if it looks just the same. Um, and so it's always a place for us to pause there and say, hang on, let me look this up and decide whether or not you actually have a condo. Um, and so these people called, said, I need a condo loan. And we looked everything up and said, no, you need a PUD loan. And and be grateful that you do, because that's a cheaper, better, easier loan for you, way less involved, better interest rate, better closing costs. Um, so... Those are always little sticking points. Same thing, like people from out of the area will say, "Well, yeah, I I bought a row house." Yeah. Oh, you did. Um, we don't have row houses here. That's a or even a townhouse. Yeah, or a townhouse. It's not a legal definition are, in California. No, those are different. <laughs> the, those are like that's like a co-op. These are things that exist in other states where we don't really have that here. Around here, we see you know single families. We see condos, modular homes, manufactured homes, mobile homes. We have um, PUDs, and those can be attached or detached. But understanding the that le- the legal definition of what you hold is a, a pretty big deal, and it's surprising to me how confusing it is for so many people. So that's a great question. I I love that question. Um, boy, phew, look at that. It's already twelve thirty. <laughs> <laughs>
4: so you're actually off the air and jeff's on and you're just still sitting here yeah jason's
3: wow. <laughs> yeah he's
2: not on maybe you're 12, just not wearing 30. your
3: glasses mm-hmm. i had lasik
4: well, that, I that's right he's very well. by then
2: boy maybe, maybe he i can, can see very good lasik here. you right? want to know something for real though <laughs> i'm if you'll notice this is the first time you've ever seen me in this studio without coffee
4: Oh, well, maybe that's the problem. I'm, we got coffee going next I'm door. Two, you want me to go get you I'm some? I'm
2: two days into quitting coffee. Ugh. Whoa, wow. wow. Why are you
3: quitting coffee? I suspect that I may have a caffeine sensitivity. Is that a, a politically correct way of saying an addiction?
2: No, like I'm beginning to feel like I have some health impact of drinking too much caffeine. So, Dan, mm. cheers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mm. there
3: we are. <laughs> but I'll
7: tell you what, though. If if you guys see me I, in... This morning,
3: I made the mistake of pouring my coffee into a smaller um, cup, and I...
2: Have less than you want?
3: Well, no. So then I realized how much smaller that cup was, so I poured that cup into my bigger cup, and I realized I could put like a whole nother cup of coffee in this thing. Nice. So I did. And now I'm drinking. It. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did. That's gonna be jitters. <laughs> yeah. So I
2: did. <laughs> uh-huh. And that was the best decision of the day so
3: far. <laughs> no, truly though, I, I I only drink coffee on um, Saturday and Sunday, usually. That's good. I don't I drink coffee, um, way
2: too much coffee every day. And then lately, since Dixon started working for us, he's a big fan of afternoon coffee. Uh-huh. and I'm a big fan of like walking across the street with somebody to get a cup of coffee so <laughs> I started drinking even more coffee and you know put a soda on that at lunch and next thing you know I'm like it's a real possibility that I'm having too much caffeine but uh, the the only if you see me drinking coffee again here here's why um, I'm doing a test right now because I, ha- I can't be sure whether it's the coffee that's making me feel like allergic and crummy, or if it's the milk that I put in there. But that's the only time I ever drink milk, so for now it's both, and then just because I love coffee so much, I'm gonna attempt to have like black coffee Mm. once I'm cleansed, you know. But so yeah, I I definitely don't feel that (laughs) awake and alert. I feel like coffee is usually how, like, yeah. that's the starting part of my day. I'm kind of sad about it. It's kind of like my newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I feel for a you. A break in the, just the overall routine. That's a tough thing. And I really <laughs> like coffee. All the kinds of coffee. Oh, well.
3: Humans need their routines. I mean, it's just, it's part of how we work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's disruptive if you don't have your routine.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it is. I couldn't agree more. Um, The eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. Oh, not really. I just wanted to. I just wanted to say that Um, there was a big jobs report yesterday. I didn't know if you were saving that for hour two or if you're. Yeah, I was just
3: kind of going. It's just there. Yeah, we've been having a nice little show so far.
2: Flashy, blinky, right here on my screen. Yeah. Um. The American jobs machine is running at yeah. top speed.
3: USA is hiring. Holy
2: smokes. Um, employers added 280,000 jobs in May. And we can't, That's of a course, good say a stat like that without grounding it in context of, you know, this is the most in five months. Always need that qualifier of, when was the last time it was this good, if ever? Just if you could throw that in there, then we'll all know how we're supposed to feel. <laughs> oh, good, best in five months. Um, and you know what else? The next part of this—this this is a great. Uh, this is from Bloomberg, but I'll, I'll read. I want to read you this sentence because it's just—it cracks me up. It it just tickles my soul. Employers added 280,000 jobs in May, the most in five months, further dispelling fears that first quarter slowdown would take hold. That GDP, that was a way, they didn't even use the word GDP, but now it's just that first quarter slowdown. And and now the fear of that slowdown taking hold are completely erased by... Um, such an adequate reading for the month of May. Um, and by the way, little brother April, um, got a revised 221,000 number, um, for the better. So of course that further, if, if that pesky little GDP, um, was plaguing anyone, um, then the revision to April certainly then should squash that in its entirety, um, we did, however, learn from the report that hourly earnings climbed um, from a year ago. Um, the number of people entering the labor force caused the unemployment rate to creep up. Oh, boo. The fly in the ointment. That darn number. Not what you want to see coming into an election year, huh? Unemployment rate increasing. <laughs> um, <laughs> why
3: are you laughing at me? You're <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> Oh, man. 5.5% is a good rate. It is a very good rate. It's a good unemployment rate. And the fact that more people are out looking for jobs is good. Your uh, average hourly earnings, how much were they up?
2: Oh... I don't. I'll tell you. Don't bother me with petty details, Dan. It (laughs) was
3: the most since August 2013. It sounds better when you say it was up 2.3 percent because when you when you describe it as eight cents per hour, that doesn't sound that very good.
2: Yeah, you accolades for whole percentage increases, (laughs) not so much for eight cents. Is that what you said? Eight cents. Eight cents. Eight cents an hour. We even still have cents. I thought we were getting rid of cents there. One day there's just going to, you're going to get a note, not in your paper that just says, today's the day, throw all your pennies away. <laughs> we're, we're tired of pennies. They're a nuisance. Um, but listen here, whatever you're, oh man, this article is just too much. The next quote, right after saying that the Dodger, the dollar surge <laughs> to a 13 year high, um, a fed rate hike this later this year is still on oh yeah yeah according to a senior economist at standard chartered bank in new york i don't even heard of them. Heard this guy's got zero street cred with me <laughs> uh, the gdp data was weak in quarter one and the fed is looking for reasons to dismiss the report that's like that's not This guy is the chief of this bank we've never heard of, and what he wants us to hear is that the feds are looking for reasons to dismiss the GDP number. I really don't think they're looking for reasons to dismiss that number. Um, However, after that number, you know, it's like kind of the call from the principal's office, hey, your kid's a jerk. Um, You hope that the next several events are going to just be better news. Nothing is going to erase what's already happened. I certainly don't think the feds are looking that way, but um,
3: Well, and I, I like how he this guy implies that the full quarter of of GDP data is somehow um, worth a month. Not not as important as one month of hiring data. Yeah, hey but still it was a good number it's a good number that is
2: a great jobs report and i certainly don't mean to talk it down and and you know it it really does show us that the the job market um is doing quite well i mean it's made considerable progress think about the state of where we were jobs wise uh, you know a couple years ago yeah it was it was incredibly bad um you know when obama took office and it he it really has begun to get better and when you look at it today these are normal good months i mean unemployment claims are running at pre-recession lows the jobs created are doing pretty good it is nice to see that there's some wage growth yeah 2.3% yeah um that's I mean, yeah. fantastic way better than 8 cents <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and honestly, it really isn't even problematic that um, that the unemployment rate went up. That is a normal thing, and I think most of the listeners of our show have come to realize this now. And um, I don't know that many people beyond that care too much, though. You know, who's who is listening today? But um, seeing the unemployment rate go up and down generally is greatly influenced by. how many people are participating and whether or not the climate is such that these people are coming out and and becoming part of who's seeking employment? Because certainly we saw plenty of declines where the numbers were going down just because people participants weren't showing up.
3: Yeah. And and likewise, we saw a good like there was a run of what, 12 to 14 months um, last year and, and it, even starting the year prior where we saw these 200 plus thousand jobs added each month. And during those times, we we also saw months where the unemployment rate went higher because people were starting to to become more confident in their ability to go out and get a job. So they were re-entering the workforce. So this isn't bad news to see the, the unemployment rate going higher to 5.5. It's still a great number, and it, it's a sign that more people are gaining confidence. The one negative that I will say, everything about this report was positive. The one negative I'll say is that we're still lacking the quality it's still being described as the fast food recovery yeah you know it's so many of those, of I, those I broke low down wage the jobs
2: you know interest i'm always really interested in seeing w- what jobs it is that are being acquired um employment and government agencies rose 18,000 in the month um mostly due to local hiring automakers um took on 6,600 additional workers um, the big winner in the category, though, was construction. Construction payrolls went up by 17,000, um, which is great. I mean, we, that's really, those are the kind of numbers that we want to hear about. Um,
3: well, think about a construction job, too. I mean, what's the, ch- there's some, some like help that's really just doing cleanup and stuff that maybe doesn't make very much. But for the most part, those are, $30 an hour, 35 bucks an hour and more.
2: Especially if you can get a government contract. Right. Yeah, prevailing are, wage. It's component like 100 of that. Bucks an and, hour, know, hour. it's like $1,000 a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Just, here, hold this shovel and get rich. Because that's the
3: prevailing wage. Right, right? yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Cuz we don't want you to be around the anywhere uh, below the rest of the people that are holding a shovel today. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So oh cynical. Boy. <laughs>
2: Listen to this though. Auto sales. I mean, signaling the rebound of the consumer demand. Vigorous growth in automobile purchases is among the um, economic data that have been more upbeat lately. Sales of cars and trucks reached 17.71 million in May. The strongest level since 05.
3: Wow. Dude, that's a good after, look back there. yeah. That's a long way <laughs> that's ago. That's actually a meaningful one. Oh,
2: five. I mean, I couldn't even buy alcohol then. That's when you could cash out your house to go buy a new car, right? <laughs> you just, well, yeah. In fact, or you with might a do car. That every year. With a car, you just got like a line of credit on your house <laughs> so that you could get like a car for your car. Um, everybody was borrowing plenty of money back in '05. Um, but that's good news to see. Um, and, you know, I, I was doing some uh, research. I was talking to a guy the other day that uh, works in the automobile industry, and he was saying that um, the used car business is pretty tough right now because these new cars are so cheap and the interest rates are so low that you could typically buy a new car um, for uh, such a song that it would make buying a used car seem like a foolish decision. And so um, that's kind of an interesting thing. That probably has a little something to do with uh, how many of these new cars that are selling, um, you know. A lot of fancy new cars on the road, too, with all their fancy uh, environmentally friendly this and that. see lots of hybrids now. It's, it's very exciting.
3: They're going to start to put, like, touch screens, more user-friendly screens in the car that can sync with your phone. I just want the Google car that just drives me.
4: Yeah, like we need more distractions in the car. Yeah. Yeah, touch screens and stuff like that, that sync with your phone.
3: Maybe. All right, good point.
2: Yeah. Good point. (laughs) What if you're wearing the Google glasses that have like a computer in the lens and then the is looking at the computer on the dash and then somehow or other you're you click like, the wrong button with your Do you blink brain. to do clicking? Is that how it I don't it works? know. I don't know. I'm here's, scared here's of that. a thought.
4: How about paying attention to the car that's in front of you and what they're doing? I are so, so practical. <laughs> I don't know. The Google cars have a pretty good record. You probably record. have a pretty good driving record. At uh, that. Pretty much
2: good pretty much if yes. you ride in one of those yeah. um google cars you're gonna be a lot safer than if you were piloting yeah but now they're saying they're having problems with those though. So. well they're getting in wrecks yeah <laughs> but sadly it's yeah <laughs> most of the accidents are not the fault of the um, car. unpiloted car it's like people running red lights and hitting them and mm. then rear-ending them and stuff it's really a problem but i did hear though that they drive those cars drive like Slow. Mm-hmm. They're not very, um, they're not very like zippy around town, which is good. What? I guess. They go the
3: speed limit? Yeah.
2: Well, and they approach the speed <laughs> limit slowly and then they like approach stops cautiously with plenty of room, always well behind the limit. They're very polite. And if you're in a hurry, then you could be mad at them. But it, I this has got to open up a whole new thing though. When you're like, because if you're if you're mad at them, like get out of the way, Google car. No one's even in there, and you're honking at it. Well, that's a whole
3: it's marketing the- opportunity for the next car manufacturer. Yeah, You know, our. Chevy or Ford or Toyota or whoever can come out with a car. Our car is an aggressive self-driver. Yeah. <laughs> our, our car will tailgate. Our,
2: our self-piloted car gets road range
4: <laughs> Yeah. Being high, behind he a he just
2: puts his high beams on you in the dark. He's mad.
4: Behind a car that takes just a little too long to go at a red light he when does, it turns green, you're honking at a. He does little where electric no
2: vehicle burnouts that go eep, <laughs> <laughs> and brake checks you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we should make a movie about this self-piloted car, <laughs> kind of like Herbie the Love Bug oh, of the God. modern day. What do you think? I think it sounds good. That I'm laughing. Weird. I think it'd be funny. Yeah. And at this point, I'm <laughs> suspecting that coffee grounds me a little bit and keeps <laughs> me from being so weird early in the morning. I have that uh, that feeling you have like late in the night when you're a little delirious. That's how I feel right now.
5: Hmm.
2: Somebody should just make like a coffee pill. That's I bet a, they have that's one. That's not like a good idea. Do, huh? That's I'm like sure. upper. Huh? Sure. It's those called are caffeine like, pill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are like reds. Huh? <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. not a good idea yeah (laughs) greenies i think that's what they're called how do you know because that's what they uh that's what they took the old baseball players to take greenies before the game back when peds were um allowed and embraced in the sport weird i was noticing the other day
2: as like one of the guys on my team is passing some of the baseball greats pools is like I mean, he's getting home runs and hits and RBIs. He's working his way up. He's in the teens now, approaching Mickey Mantle next. Um, But it gives the age that these players were. And a lot of those old greats didn't have very long careers. And I suspect maybe it was because they were doing... Um, you know, like, cause wasn't Babe Ruth like a big cokehead and drunk? He and was stuff? a big drinker. So was Mickey Mantle. Yeah, mm. and so they're those guys. They're like they're all celebrated as some greats, but they were kind of toxic people, mm-hmm. smoking in the dugout and stuff. I mean, this is kind of different. Yeah. But uh, you know, we don't we're paying to be entertained by these uh, athletic performers. We don't want to see them getting an edge.
3: I I get that. No. Hmm. just trying to think of something smart to say about the angels
2: <clears throat>
3: is there anything I can't smart think of anything? Just to say
4: about yeah, I'm just <laughs> yeah, there's I got nothing I got I've got nothing
2: oh says the guy from the glass house athletics <laughs> okay um hey well the good news is is we have a, a whole nother hour of mortgage matters that's coming ahead and um we do have a, a lot more stuff to discuss. I, for one, am pretty excited about it. If you guys do want to participate in the conversation, though, five four three eight eight three zero is the number to call in. And likewise, if you need some loan help, um, there are people that can help you out today. You can give us a call. 543-LOAN is the number that rings our office. That's five four three five six two six. Also, uh, feel free to go find us on the web, Central Coast Lending. You'll find all of our contact information, even a place to apply there if you um, just know that you need a loan. We'll be back after this short break for another hours of Mortgage Matters. Do stick around. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you've stumbled across greatness.
3: <laughs> Why are you laughing? I, I was really going to try to. I was really going to try to sell that. I too thought the first hour was pretty, pretty great.
4: It <laughs> was an awesome hour.
3: It was. Yeah, it was a good hour.
4: Lots of information, humor, Lots, everything. Lot of yeah, well-rounded. Agreed. We had calls. Agreed. There it is.
2: Yeah. Yes, we did. We and we had fun yeah. we talked about a variety of things mm-hmm. we've got more to talk about in this this coming hour um, stalling out here waiting for my what's wrong with the internet here Jim it's working I got I got it going
8: yeah.
2: here I'll start I'll fuck start I've had a <laughs> tough internet week I it's, have
3: it's the coffee
2: yeah, it's the lack maybe of maybe your
3: computer hasn't had enough coffee this morning so here we go we've got a um, few other numbers that we should share Construction spending had a nice reading this week up 2.2% in April, um, and up about 5% compared to one year ago. So there's more construction going on. You highlighted that in the jobs report, the big winner of the, of the jobs added game was the, uh, was construction industry adding 17,000 jobs. So we're seeing some momentum in, in the new builds, um, which leads me to an article that I was forwarded this week um, from the National Association of Home Builders. This is a their news blog. The National Association of Home Builders puts out some information periodically. And um, this was a, an article that came out at the end of May saying that there's a lingering problem for builders, and what it is is a, a shortage of lots. In May, a survey was conducted by the National Association of Home Builders And 62% of builders reported that the overall supply of developed lots in their area was low to very low. Huh. By comparison, 43% of builders reported that this was a problem in September of 2012. So you can see that over the course of two and a half years or so, two and a half to three years, that... It's gone from a, a little less than half of the people citing this as a problem to now two-thirds of builders saying lot supply is a problem. Well, that's not good. No.
2: You know the thing about land, too. I mean... We've, they're not making any more of it. No. And as we continue to use it, then people are getting more and more attached to it. So they're starting to want like some of it left unpaved. Open spaces, green belts, things like this. Yeah, that'll be a problem. That'll help contribute to the housing crisis. I got this report this week. I'll I'll forward this to you because I think you're going to just geek out on it and love it. This is a report about um, the fair market rents and affordability by state, broken down also by um, region. So check this out. This says that in California, the fair market rent for a two-bedroom apartment is, guess what it is, for the state of
3: California. Think about Fair them. market rent for a two-bedroom apartment across the state. Yeah.
2: Think about all those places like Hinkley and all. I mean, there's a lot of places, right, where you can probably get a two-bedroom Man. place pretty cheap.
3: I feel like you're setting me up for the number to be higher than my what I would normally no, let's
2: start, let's say. No, because tell me Slow County.
3: Two-bedroom apartment Slow. In Slow? <laughs> it's so different all across the county. I would say a two-bedroom apartment, $1,500. Okay. And then statewide, you'd say what? I was going to say 1200 Yeah, and you're not that far off, actually. Um,
2: the, the statewide number for a two-bedroom apartment is 1386 per month. Um, in order to afford this level of rent and utilities without paying more than 30% of your income in housing, which is a federal um, threshold kind of guideline, a household must earn forty six hundred nineteen dollars a month, or fifty five thousand dollars a year. That's assuming a forty hour work week, fifty two weeks a year. Um, that means that at that metric, you'd need to um, earn twenty six sixty five per hour to be meeting those federal standards. State facts, just to break it down: minimum wage nine bucks average renter wage 1896 so for a two-bedroom house you need to be making 27 bucks an hour and the average wage here is just under 19 bucks an hour the two-bedroom wage um, is right at what's required 45 uh, percent of the state are renters and um, when you go on down through here if you make minimum wage, You need to work 118 hours per week in order to afford a two bedroom apartment. Um, Pretty wild. The number of full time jobs at minimum wage needed to afford a two bedroom apartment in the state of California is three. So you you need more people than you have bedrooms working full time to afford your apartment. Yeah, I was
3: going to say, it sounds to me like it's hard to have a, a one household income, one person household income, if you want to afford that. Yeah. Average two-bedroom apartment.
2: So then in that, over the looking nationally, ranks California at third for how expensive it is. Um, this report, though, breaks out like um, the metropolitan area. So um, let me scan a cheap one here. Here's a cheap one. Um, let's see here. Bakersfield. Eight hundred and thirty-two dollars on average for a two-bedroom apartment, which means that um, and the hourly wage necessary to afford that is sixteen bucks an hour. If you scroll on off into some of these that get a little more outrageous, um, let me just pick one of the high ones: San Jose, thirty-five bucks an hour is what's needed to afford the um, two-bedroom rent of eighteen oh nine. San Luis actually does make it on this report. Their metro area is San Luis and Paso Robles, saying that the average two bedroom is 1309
3: Does that sound right for a two bedroom apartment? It's because it's taking the high in the county, which is San Luis Obispo. And then, so is it just looking at those two cities? Just yeah. San Luis and Paso Robles. So it's it's taking a high and a low. I mean Paso Robles is a Well, way I think it's San
2: Luis to Paso, so I think what they're doing all is all the stuff to, in yeah. between too. Anyway, they say that the hourly wage necessary to afford is twenty five nineteen. I mean, to be in an apartment around here, and, and that that doesn't feel far fetched. I mean that, that feels relatively true. Um I didn't look though and see what the the highest state ranking was or the lowest for that matter. Takeaway here though is that rent's pretty high. And when you break it out into hourly wages, you gotta you gotta make a pretty good wage to be able to be living in California, period.
3: What did they say the the average rent was for our area for Slow to Paso? Uh, let me go back to the page. What do we say? Was it 13 something? Oh man, now I'm in Arkansas.
2: All
3: right. I think it was like 1306. So what they're saying is you have to make 40, a little over 4,300 a month in our area. That's the twenty-five nineteen per hour, 40 hours, 52 weeks a year. You have to make forty-three sixty-six per month to be able to f- afford that average, um, apartment two-bedroom apartment and if it's 1300 bucks a month what i'm ultimately trying to get is what kind of a uh, percentage of gross income so that i can put it in context of qualifying for a home loan that's what i'm interested in
2: oh i see where you're going there your annual income needed to afford that on this chart it's about a
3: 30 uh, yeah. percent housing to income ratio.
2: Yeah, your front end ratio would be about 30%.
3: That's what they're looking at for being affordable. So it's kind of in line with those um those QN, the qualified mortgage guidelines. Yeah. Weren't those
2: about 30 something? Yeah, that's been kind of a federal standard all along. Um even we even saw that when this when we were deep in the recession, you remember loan modifications and short sales and all that? Those functions all worked off of about a 30% ratio of your housing expense divided by your gross income. Um, And so, but man, when people buy, though, a lot of people are well over 30%. I mean, sometimes we'll see people that are 45 to 50% of their income um, going just into housing.
3: FHA will go up to a 47% housing to income ratio and a 57% debt total debt to income ratio. That's
2: high. Yeah, especially because it's taking consideration your gross wages. Mm-hmm. You don't even get all of that money. I mean, not not included in your um, that calculation. I mean, they, your gross wages. They're going to take whatever health care you're paying out, um, any retirement savings, uh, taxes, of course, and social security. All those things. All of those are are factored as part of your income for that divisor. So somebody could actually find themselves in a position where of All their of their take yeah, their take home pay is the lion's share um, is going towards their just their house bill. Yeah, that's kind of a normal thing. i I would suggest that in most of the county, um, you know, it depends a little bit on the area, but in San Luis now, we're starting to see rents uh, around $1,200 a bedroom. It's getting crazy. In Atascadero, though, you're still able to afford, you know, somewhere 600 bucks a bedroom. That's kind of a common thing up there. So that makes it kind of a difficult thing. If you isolated just San Luis Obispo, yeah, the, the two bedroom. I mean, think about it. Where's a two bedroom apartment in slow? You're not getting that thing for less than two grand a month. Right. So you break, run that, that math back out. You need to be making 40 bucks an hour or borrowing it on student loans to pay the rent while you're going to school.
3: We're trying to help a couple buy a house, buying their first home. They currently rent um, over by French hospital area. Uh, a seven hundred square foot home, built in nineteen forty one with no updates. That's a small home. It's a two bedroom, one bath. They pay eighteen hundred bucks a month. That's a pretty good deal for a standalone house in slow. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. It's a, it's it's not attached to anything. It's a nobody above home. you, nobody below you. Yeah, but still, I mean that's seven hundred square feet though. It's a small place. One it's or a two. Small old place. Two bedroom home.
2: One car garage.
3: I don't two. know. I
2: don't know about I that. I don't one. know. Jim's Jim's really concerned about the the garage. Well, you know, lots of homes in that era are one car. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure of it. I mean, it's in, an original. In fact, some home. of them don't have a garage. They had like a carriage shed in that era. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild yeah, it's what the rental environments like here in fact we've we've dealt with some out-of-area um, bankers that we sell some loans to and they don't quite get it they're
7: wait they a don't, minute they don't you mean this guy pays eighteen
2: hundred dollars a month in rent uh who pays eighteen hundred bucks a month in rent and you're like uh most everyone in our city <laughs> yeah, people who renting. inhabit this zip code <laughs> yeah that's a that's a common thing but seems outrageous I was talking with one of my clients this week that was um, interested in purchasing a place in South Carolina. They have a an aunt that lives over there, so they were checking it out. Uh, they're gonna be looking at this property that was like five acres with its own lake and a house, you know, with a dock. It was really a great little set. It was like eighty nine grand. <laughs> 89 grand. Wow. You can't even you can't even like buy one of the mobile homes in one of the parks and towns here for 89 grand. You certainly aren't getting
3: a lake. <laughs> yeah. It's it's wild. We live in a, a unique area, that's for sure. Hey, I do want to remind you if you would like to participate in today's discussion, you can call us live here in the studio 543-8830 Bob from Napomo already knows the number, and he's on the line right now.
7: Good morning, Bob. Hey, guys. Hey, great. Hey, I, I had to get to be able to call you. I was in the car, so I turned my car on aggressive drive, and I got to stop quicker so I could talk to you guys. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> I worked out really good. It worked out well for me. Um, you know, I'm a person who's a, a, little, a little good side of 60. I have everything paid off. I have uh, a little bit of income property and a, and a value that's good, and I was looking to buy in this area, and unfortunately... It's even, you know, to have a rent or something and all, it's very difficult to find a good place. People will pay half of their income to, to live here. My thing is I'm going to start looking out of state because people are paying good money, half of their income out of state, but the the drop I have to put into it is, is less. So I'm kind of almost giving up on the center because even though I'd love to have a, a second home in the area, right?
2: Yeah, I was talking with that. So,
7: so I don't know, it seems to me like the, the rent, the, and then this goes into my bigger question, which is long-term interest rates. I think we're at a point that might be unique in, in human history, because we've never had a world currency, a world economy, really per se, uh, then I think interest rates are going to do a lot of consistency for the next ten years, and I think that's essential for any for our economy to go forward. So, as you know, I just I'm curious to see what you guys. I listen off the air because you guys I really listen to and talk. So. Um, but that's my long-term view. So buying something long-term, I think I'm I'm pretty solid because I think we have to have some consistency. Wild swings and in interest rates are are bad for everybody except the people at the top. So you know what I'm saying. So anyway, I want to hear you yeah. guys take on that long-term and then just investment, I guess, in general.
3: Okay. That cool? Yeah. Thanks for the phone call, Bob. All right. All right. I mean, his decision, or it sounds like. Sounds like he's pretty much decided to to maybe invest outside of the state. I know local realtors who do the same thing. Right. I know folks who are bypassing this local market because there are other opportunities out of state where they can buy something all cash, maybe, for less than what it would take just to put the minimum down payment down here and have a loan, and they actually get some positive cash flow right out of the gate. By buying something very modest, say in the Midwest or even as close as as Nevada, um, or you know, there's so many markets that are affordable outside of San Luis Obispo. I mean, San Luis Obispo is very unaffordable. I think we can all agree on that. It's, right. It's um, we're lucky to live here. Uh, those of us who do live here, but it's not an easy place to live. You know, it's it's hard. There's not the the, the industry that supports the housing prices here so it's hard for people to to maintain families in this area and when you're looking for investment, you know like you said the the cash flow the, the income that you can bring in on an investment property is great but getting in on those investment properties well, takes typically a good you need of to cash. tie
2: up so much of your capital yeah. that, that's really the thing is uh, I get people into my office that, that's come from out of the area say oh, wow, the rents here are amazing yeah, sure. But let's sit down and talk about what kind of money you're going to need to put into it to break
3: it even at that rent. You're talking about writing a check for two, three hundred grand. What's the cheapest home that's for sale today in San Luis Obispo County? A single family home. Oh, there's a home that's like half burned down over <laughs> off Tassajara for like four fifty. I was going to say what I've seen, like some in kind of in that same neighborhood over there, I. Um, about five fifty. I see a lot of homes in the five fifty to six hundred range that are three bedroom, one or two baths. Yeah. And so
2: think about it this way. I mean, really you're looking I, I use these rough numbers just for being quick and dirty, but it's about six hundred bucks a month for every hundred thousand you borrow. And if you're making a down payment, that's good, but you gotta consider what that capital is worth deployed, right? You understand what I mean by that? If you have to put three hundred thousand dollars into this thing, that's probably worth about eighteen hundred bucks a month. So, let's just then this five hundred thousand dollar property over off of Tazeharo, that foothill area, you know, Cal Poly student mecca. You buy a five or six hundred thousand dollar house, you're talking three thousand to thirty-six hundred dollars a month of what it's going to take to have that there. I mean, and granted, you're not going to be able to finance the whole thing, so. Part of that trade-off is that you're gonna lunk in a couple hundred grand of actual cold hard cash to have a debt service then that's pretty close to the rent. So even at a thousand bucks a bedroom for that three bedroom house, this is why we say rents are approaching twelve hundred bucks a bedroom. That's kind of what the carry cost is. And the you know, you see that the people that are over there have these really long-term rentals. And I think this is exactly why we're the the city is moving towards the rental inspection program. You have a really long-term rental because you've had it forever and you don't have that debt service on it and you don't really consider um, because the cash flow is just the rent coming in. It's like a golden egg. So then it's something where you just, I hope this continues forever and you start kind of slumming it, not taking care of the property and stuff because it's not a big investment for you. It's just a cash cow. Um That happens to be a lot of the rental supply of San Luis is those guys. It's very, very difficult here to come today and make the decision that you're going to, if you just inherited a million bucks. Are you coming to slow and you're going to pay 600 grand for one of those rental properties over there that's going to fetch you 3000 bucks a month? Uh, odds are not. It's a difficult market to get in and make money in, and that's why so many people look outside the area. I mean, I, I talk about this um, pretty openly. I, I, my game plan is probably to leave the Central Coast at some point. I might even leave the state of California. I love it here. I think the weather's great, and who knows, maybe I'll be back, but... My income today, this is where I need to be. My income is based on a small percentage of the property values, right? So do I want to be here working on $600,000 properties or do I want to be in South Carolina working on $80,000 properties? Since I'm in earning season of life, I should be where the real estate's worth too much. Um, But when it comes on down to it, like you look at you venture into retirement, how far can you get on your pension and your Social Security? Um, this is a tough place to be. You better hope at that point your house is already paid off. But even then, um, why not then sell that house? That's the million dollar house. And then you can go buy the $200,000 house somewhere else and have almost a million dollars in the bank and still have no house payment. It gets real estate values here are
3: already so high and rents are so high that gets really hard to justify Here's a here's a real scenario. A, you know, you buy a home here. It's let's say $600,000. This is a potential rental property for you up off that Foothill neighborhood. $600,000. Basically the max loan you can get on that thing is 417,000. When you look at the opportunity the different loan opportunities, that's really what you're looking at is a max loan of 417,000. So you essentially have to come up with 200 grand to buy the home and you're going to pay what 2400 bucks a month 20 let's call it 2500 bucks a month to buy that three bedroom house right. that's going to bring in 3 3000 to $3500 after you outlay
2: your 200 grand
3: after you lay your out, uh, yeah after you put down your 200 grand you're going to have a positive cash flow of anywhere from 500 to $1000 a month after you put out your $200,000 or you can go buy something let's say In Indiana, for thirty-five thousand dollars, that rents for five hundred. That rents for five to maybe even seven hundred. Maybe you bought a nice one. Maybe you spent forty grand about a really nice house, and it rents for seven hundred dollars a month. I mean, that thing is just pure cash all day, every day. This one, you have a lot of debt. Well, there's a
2: in other parts of the country. What you're getting at is there's a finite amount of time that the rents are going to retrieve your initial capital, right? If you can make 700 bucks a month on it, and it costs you 35 grand. That's going to be about five years before you've got your money back. It, it's paid for itself. Here in Slowtown, um, you probably won't live to see your rent surplus pay to get your capital back
3: out of having bought. That's uh, yeah, 200 to 400 months before you get your money back. Granted, yeah. over that time, I mean, over your 360 months. You're still you're you've just about recovered your initial capital in the the rent that you've taken on Now you finally own a free and clear home yep. because you've paid off that loan. I mean so it's kind of I guess it it depends on your your financial planning situation. Right. I could kind of argue that maybe that slow thing's a good idea if you have the 200 grand to lay down on on that house. I don't know if I gave you 200
2: grand a day, would you bury it in the basement of your house? I
3: don't know. I wouldn't. It's a tough call because at some point that slow home is going to be paid off. Let's say, I mean, it's it's 30 years later. Yeah, it's finally paid off and now your rent's, I mean, in 30 years, they're probably not still 3500 Maybe they're $5,000 a month or something. How much is that home in Indiana renting for? Is it still just bringing in stuff? Maybe it's a pre, you know maybe rents have gone yeah. up there too, and maybe now you're bringing in a thousand dollars a month. Well, those so other, the long term the rental house here maybe looks a little bit better. Those
2: other parts of the country too, where there's that that real big disparity between the value of the property and the rents that are received, because those opportunities are out there. They scared the daylights out of me because how long can people? You know what your mortgage is if you buy a house for forty grand. Thirty-year fix. You're talking like two hundred bucks a month.
3: Why on earth are these people paying five hundred dollars a month to rent? Yeah, I don't understand it either. Because then they don't even have to maintain. I mean, think about it. the The winters are very harsh there. Part of it is I that mean, this, they. Part of it is that they don't know better. I mean, would you? I mean, if for a three hundred dollar difference in monthly payment and not having to deal with the maintenance, and I mean, you could just pick up the phone and call someone to unplug your toilet or whatever's, you know, my refrigerator's broken. Hey, give me a new one, landlord.
2: Well, and there, and one of the reasons why that it's also less attractive is that they don't appreciate that much. So you got to manage the move-ins and move-outs and repairs and maintenance and all the things that goes on with being a, a an owner, but you're not going to end up with this is not going to be worth a hundred grand in five years, the way that you know the California market would do. Yeah,
3: it's a really interesting dilemma um, because I I do see a long term potential for for housing in a real really affluent market like like San Luis Obispo, but the barriers to entry are, are tough to overcome for a lot of people. So. It's it's tough. Maybe the secret is the happy medium. Maybe there's something in the Pacific Northwest in like an Oregon or a, a Washington where it's, you know, a couple hundred thousand to buy the house. You have a more reasonable capital outlay to acquire the home. And, you know, maybe there's a, a medium area to be in. It's it's tough. I think each market has its pros and cons.
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. When the, we were I was talking to my buddy about South Carolina, the other day, you know, we talked about. There's mosquitoes there.
3: It's <laughs> really humid.
2: Yeah, you're yeah. laughing, but you've not lived under, like, those mosquito conditions. It is not okay. Um, and, yeah, and it's humid and hot, and, you know, you, like, run all the way back through it. That's why, you, well, one of the reasons why people are willing to pay ridiculous amounts of money to be here is because they've been elsewhere. <laughs> and you know what? The time served here in California is a lot easier time than the time served in Louisiana or something.
3: So that's part of it. The other part of Bob's question was about interest rate volatility. Do you think that we're addicted to low rates and they can't go up? There's a big part of me that does believe that the norm of 6 to 8% interest rates is probably not the normal that we're going to be dealing with it's for a thing the next of the past years. i i mean i think to some degree yes i i think that interest rates over the the past 70 years have gone as high as i mean what the stories we hear are teens to even 20 percent with lows of today so that's a pretty wide range but
2: think about this tan you're a secondary guy mm-hmm. you know that's how you came up in the business how do we offset risk? With interest. Charge a little more. <laughs> right? What? Did, tell me what you got going on. I got a 650 credit score. Ooh, that's going to cost you a little bit. And I'm buying a condo. Yep. Oh, and you had a bankruptcy five years ago. You get on down to the end of it. This guy, as compared to the other guy who you know, works for Cal Poly, has an 800 credit score, going to put 50% down and buying a house. You look at those two on paper. Yeah, well, we'll loan them both money. Uh, the This other dude that everybody wants to finance is going to get a better deal than this other dude who some people are like, we don't loan to people that had a bankruptcy. And sorry, it's just our – nothing personal. It's just our stance. So it's always increased interest. One of the reasons that I don't know that there's a big place for interest rates to go up here is that when you had stated income loans and no-doc loans and negatively amortizing loans and 100% investment property loans – those higher interest rates, because those options existed, um, created like some room for the conforming rates to kind of come up and meet them there to be still a better deal than what you could get for your 7%, you know, 100, 100% financing investment property deal. Um, conforming loans never really did that but there was room then to charge a little bit more and in this new environment where all that stuff is gone um, sure there's still risk based pricing to some degree but you don't have the bar being set by subprime pricing today you don't have the bar being set with weird teasers to show some other low rate and so on the bigger picture you no longer have people that are using a loan program today to get in today knowing that in five years they owe more than they do today or knowing that in five years it adjusts to some no longer interest only it's fully amortizing Um, nobody's buying homes today with that as their mentality when we buy a house today by and large we buy with a 30-year fixed so there's uh, we don't even need to discuss predictability or a game plan for what happens at some other point. Nothing happens. This thing's the same forever. And as long as you don't somehow become maimed and unable to work, you should be able to afford tomorrow what you can afford today. Um, so that being said, I wonder right there, is that is that one of the other big differences is why we can't move into accepting higher rates there's no programs to drag us there and we're not going to dumb the standards down to allow that higher rate more predatory type of loan so then secondly because that's absent in the marketplace completely are all loans inherently less risky and therefore deserve less interest we used to make the point a lot about fannie mae and freddie mac they didn't cause these problems if anything They were the one left standing after all the people that caused the problems went bankrupt and went out of business. And then by proxy from being the body that held mortgages for loans across the nation when everything became undervalued and getting banged up with foreclosures. These guys got drugged through the mud because of that. So going forward with that that whole influence absent from the market – the ability for crazy loans to create false affordability and have balloon payments or whatever bizarre thing you want to put on it, that's gone today. So people are buying today with a different mentality. They don't have to plan for a change. They need to consider affordability and long-term affordability. And I I think for all of those reasons, in spite of – how you value the stock and bond market and all those things. I think mortgage loans are so much less risky today that that's one good reason right there why the rates are going to remain lower than they have been historically. Um, ice my cake by starting this conversation about how we're addicted to low rates. Um, we are spoiled brats that want a long-term, thirty-year fixed, and we want it for something you know r- ridiculously cheap, three or four percent, or else we're going to fold our arms and not buy.
3: Um, you t- you took a different angle than I was expecting. Really talking about the the lack of different differentiating risk classes amongst loans now. You know, with everything being pretty prime A paper. It's lending the anymore.
2: lowest possible risk environment you can yeah, be in. it really is. And we
3: created all of that
2: appraiser autonomy. We've made the we've leaps and bounds in the licensing of who can offer these loans. The background checks—they're running credit reports on loan officers now to make sure that you're. Should be advising people. I mean, almost every stone that could be turned to protect this investment class has been now. So once you get all of the bugs out and you've got it whittled down to such a clean book of high-performing business, can you raise the rates on that?
3: I think at some point the the health of the overall economy is going to warrant rates going higher but right now things are so still feel so fragile and with our economy our economy our us economy being so intertwined with other economies around the world that we can't raise our rates our rates can't move too high too fast for fear of leaving the rest of the world behind and for that reason we're going to see eventually some increases this year next year at some point soon whenever it is we're going to see small slow gradual steps higher but where will it stop that's that's i think the the longer term question is where will we stop with the rate increases will it be at when when mortgage rates hit 6% or 7% or 8% Th- that's the question i i i do see mortgage rates across the whole spectrum of lending staying relatively tight but will the whole environment go up beyond the norm of six to eight percent I don't know and and it's probably going to take a while because I think it's going to take a while for the whole world economy to fully heal everything still kind of feels fragile maybe not so much here although you look at GDP last quarter it, it does feel fragile but more so across the the other countries it's still they're they're just figuring out which direction their economies are going and so it's keeping us it's holding us back right now it really is um i don't know i think so many people have gotten these these 30 year fixed 3 and 4% loans that there is not going to be a strong demand for for mortgages in 5 to 10 years i think these people are going to be really well. reluctant to give up their home that's so affordable especially with real estate prices being Near these all-time highs again. I see what you're saying about that, but don't forget this. Um,
2: I this is a, this is a fun thing that I like to just draw your attention to um, 2007, when this all this problem started. Right, and this is when we started our company. But now I just want to talk about the class of 2007 that graduated high school. Um, those guys are doctors today in eight years they're just it's june they're graduating medical school they're wanting to buy houses so i don't agree with the that demand is going to fall off at some point because we're birthing a whole new class of consumer every day and we're they're coming up through the farm system and that's a big deal. Think but about that.
3: I You you make a great point. There's, there's always new buyers every day being born. And, and there's
2: people in Louisiana that if they have to swap one more mosquito, they're going to lose their mind. So they pack it all up and head for California. And
3: higher interest, another great point, higher interest rates don't impact people who are buying $50,000 or $80,000 houses nearly as much as the people who are buying five and $600,000 homes. At the same time, for the last 30 years in a declining rate environment, all those new home buyers and all those mosquito haters out there, they've been transacting real estate, but so have the people who have been content in their housing because, oh, well, hey, our our home worth with our five percent loan, we can now go buy another home for a four percent with a four percent loan. Right. That's that's what's gonna be that's a segment that might be missing.
2: Yeah, you're right about that. Um, I see that already. I have people that come into my office that uh, are wanting to, you know, they bought a house a few years ago. Now they've got some equity and they're considering upgrading. And when we pencil out what it is at the increased interest, which, by the way, is not a lot. In, in some cases, it's a percent higher than where they may have bought. But taxes, your property to Prop 13 is pretty sweet when you're on the homeowner end of that deal. Um You know, some of these guys bought a house for three hundred grand. Was a good deal with a really low interest rate and a nice cheap payment. Part of that cheap payment is the hazard insurance is less, and the property taxes are less. Um, So that house today is worth four hundred grand. So they walk up saying, "Hey, I want to I want to offload this place and buy something up a little bit more expensive." So then you run that math out. More expensive house, more expensive insurance. New higher interest rates, more expensive property taxes. You turn around now and say, "Oh, so if I buy a house for a hundred grand more, now all of a sudden my payments going up by seven, eight hundred bucks a month. I guess I'm going to stay put Um, because they they did buy at such a sweet spot in the market. So I I definitely see how that's that's going to have some impact. But in my estimation of it, those people not selling contribute to the supply crisis which then keeps demand underway um you know i i saw this week a a proposal for a housing project in san luis that had um houses small houses affordably built houses on small lots and all i could really think was that's great if they build those i don't want to live there and it just reminds me further that those people will continue to want to move out into the, the bigger house on its own lot. So I, I think no matter what happens going forward, we, we're we going to see increases in, in property values and um, in spite of whatever interest rates do. But I'm not convinced interest rates can really go up. Not much anyway.
3: I, th- I think they're going to go up, but it's going to be a very controlled rise. And... Um, You know, we're all going to find out soon enough, probably six to 12 months from now. We'll we'll see what the pace of of increases. At least I'm all for
2: it. I'd I'd rather it happened this month in June just so that we could see what it is and stop the volatility. You know, I mean, we saw that with the bond
3: stuff so clearly. All right. We have blown through at least one break. We're about to blow through the second. We're not going to do it. We're not going to. We're quitting on the break. (laughs) We're gonna no. We're gonna take a break. Um, When we come back, I think we have a caller waiting on the line. So uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more mortgage matters.
0: To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 will be back after these messages from our sponsors.
3: What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected
8: bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet
3: baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State
0: Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
2: This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today.
3: When you buy or refinance a home, just call 5 Central Coast
1: Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal
0: housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate Number 018-39608. NMLS Number 328358. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. <music>
3: All righty. Welcome back to I Mortgage Matters. While so we were away, strong. we uh, we got one caller waiting patiently on the line and another caller asking a question.
2: Was this because I said South Carolina, so you went with Sweet Caroline? You know, it just works that way, doesn't it?
4: There we you go. Know, yeah, well, yeah. Diamond, Sweet Caroline. Paying there attention over there. Yes. All right.
3: Da-da. We don't have a lot of time, so hopefully we can get to both uh, questions here. Let's take our patiently waiting caller, Greg, from Cayucas.
8: Hey Greg, how you doing? Good
2: morning, sir. I'm,
8: I'm doing well. I haven't talked to you guys for a long time. Good to hear your voices.
2: Welcome I, back. I caught. What's that? Welcome back.
8: Thank you. Good to good to be back. I just I heard your um, just the last five minutes or so talking about the uh, the challenges of Prop 13 when it comes to moving your tax base to a uh, <clears throat> to a more extensive home. Yep. And I wanted to share with you guys, and you probably have heard from Wes. He may have shared this with you when we uh, met in Sacramento. The California Association of Realtors met in Sacramento last, at the end of April. And one of the things that came out of that meeting was uh, the agreement that California Association of Realtors would sponsor legislation that would enable people to sell their principal residence And buy a home of greater value instead of being handcuffed to equal or lesser value and transferring their Prop 13 tax base on the disposed of property and only paying the new Prop 13 1% on the increased
2: amount of their purchase. Where do I vote yes on that?
8: Well, uh, we are sponsoring legislation, so it's, you know, the, the first cog in the wheel has been created. Now we have to, I'm sure at this point, we've probably found a legislator to uh, help us get the bill through the process, and hopefully we can get... Uh, the legislators to see the benefit of this. There was an effort made back in uh, right in the middle of the Great Recession to do something similar to this, and it got shot down just because of the economic times. But it really, when you look at the metrics involved, the creation of new transactions uh, would really create a net, at least a, a wash tax revenue wise, and probably an increase in tax revenue for the counties involved in doing that. So, I just it's. I guess my point is that. We realtors are out not only helping you buy and sell real estate, we're also trying to help craft legislation in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. that's going to help the home buying process and consumers in the long run.
2: Awesome. That's interesting. You'll have to keep us posted on how that unfolds.
8: I'll do that. We have a meeting again in October, and there will be some progress made, no doubt. I'll call in and share that with you guys, but it would definitely be a boon to the industry.
2: Okay, cool. Right on. Thanks.
8: Good to hear you guys. Talk to you soon.
2: Thanks, Greg.
3: Currently, the the tax base transfer is only allowed for folks who are 55 or over, and they are buying a property that is equal or lesser in value than the property being sold. If they acquire the new property within one year after selling their current property, they can buy as much as 105% of their sold property's value. And if they're buying within two years of selling the other property, then the new property can be worth as much as 110% of the value of the property that was sold. So this would actually, this legislation would actually allow them to buy any priced property and transfer the base up to the amount of the sold property and then pay the new rate on whatever the new home cost above and beyond the sold property's value. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting solution.
2: Well, and part of me thinks that it, uh, it'd it be interesting to hear, like, Tom weigh on in on what he thinks about that. I, part of me thinks it's a good idea because it allows people to move around more freely in an environment where there's a lot of reason to not move. Um, and I think in terms of Prop 13 – the greatest thing that can happen for your local tax base is for somebody to, um, for the new buyers to be buying at new market rate, right? You I mean, think about like some houses over, like in San Luis by the high school. Those are houses are million dollar houses now. Um, if you've lived in it for thirty years, your tax base is so low. On your, you know, really really low tax base. And it's going to remain that way until you sell it. If somebody new buys it today, the taxes on that are going to be 1%, you know, 10,000 bucks a year compared to probably the two or 3,000 they're getting from that person that's had it forever. So I know people stay put because of their taxes. I mean, that's, that's a no brainer.
3: Now I recall when Tom was on a few weeks ago, we talked about this very issue and He said that, you know, the reason there were the caps on the prices of the new homes and and your ability to transfer your tax base was because the whole idea behind it was for um, empty nesters to be able to downsize their home. It wasn't necessarily enabling people to buy up. You know, the people who are able to buy up obviously can afford more home. And what it was really designed for was helping people who were buying down, who were going to actually experience a significant increase in their property taxes, yet they were really just trying to to downsize and, and have something that's more affordable. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes as it, as it makes its way through the various levels of, of government. Um, yeah. So yeah, thanks for sharing that, Greg.
2: I think it makes sense to incent homeowners to have a. With the rules as they currently are, we incent homeowners to stay put. But I can see the value in a healthy housing economy where people would move and turn it over and allow entry level housing to become available to the next class of homeowner, you know, new homeowners versus the move-up home buyer moving into something new that is less than 55, going to spend more money and doesn't want to lose the tax base that they have.
3: So we have Tom Bordenaro on about once a year. Two years ago when we had him on, we had a very lengthy discussion about equi- the, this property tax base issue being both equitable and fair. You recall that conversation? Oh, totally. Is... Allowing a move up buyer that's over the age of 55 to maintain a lower tax base, is that either equitable or fair when there may be a younger buyer trying to compete for that?
2: Um, And (laughs) I think the response was, who cares? You'll appreciate the protection when you're the guy making the move or when you've got a tax base from 20 years ago. So today, you just have to um, know that your your benefit lies ahead.
3: We have a, a caller here waiting on the line, Sherry from Paso Robles. Good morning, yes, Sherry. I just,
5: I just tuned in, and I didn't get the name of the legislation that you were speaking about, and I certainly hope that uh, you're not floating the idea of doing away with Prop 13. So what is the name of the legislation?
3: I, I don't know the name of it. It was a we we just had realtor a realtor, Greg, um, Greg Astle, called in and said that at a recent meeting um, that he attended up in Sacramento that, that the, was it the California Association of Realtors or uh-huh. National, the Association of Realtors is sponsoring some legislation to allow homeowners who are 55 and over to transfer their tax base even if they're buying up in value and that was that was the legislation
5: oh okay that that sounds fine it alarmed me a little bit when you start um (laughs) yeah look how
2: look how protective people get over their tax base huh yeah
5: well yeah yes um i think you need some more information if you're um thinking that that's a good idea
2: in in terms of allowing uh, people
5: of uh, doing away with uh, Prop 14 and one other comment, if uh, I think you mentioned something about how, how much money we could raise by raising more taxes, more taxes. I'm in my mid 60s, and I'm going to give you a phrase that maybe you can keep in mind. It will never be enough, no matter how much they how much more taxes California collects. It will never be enough.
2: Yeah, understood. Sherry, hey. thanks for your phone call today. I appreciate it. Yeah,
3: government's really good at spending money. Through every penny they get. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, no, to be clear, um, there was no discussion of, of getting rid of Prop 13. And um, I'd like to say that I'm I
2: personally am very grateful for my Prop 13. Yeah, and- I'm
3: finally in, and and my... I'm finally now taking advantage of it. For a while, I was taking advantage of Prop 8, was it? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm actually enjoying Prop 13. Right. So, um, yeah. No, I like it now that I'm a homeowner. Excellente. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a good show. Yeah, it has been a good show. Thanks, We didn't Thanks, talk about Dan. nearly
2: everything that we wanted to. No, no. I, I have so many uh, articles here that I'm not sharing. Yeah. Um, but hey, I want to remind all of you guys, if you have any kind of financing need at all, something that we can help you with, um, strategizing on how to become that move up buyer or maybe a first time home buyer, uh, we have the the scoop on all of the loan programs and, and those creative ways to help get you there. Uh, if you've disqualified yourself from the couch, you're my favorite person. Come on in. Let me help you. Um, if you... Just think that you need 20% down payment to buy real estate. Um, You're my other favorite person. Come in and see me. Let me help you. Um, We are, every day now, we're helping people with all of their uh, home loan needs, whether you're buying a home, buying a vacation home, buying an investment property, refinancing your home. Uh, Let us help you with that. 543 loan is the phone number that's 5435626 you can also find us on the web at central coast lending there are some forms there where if you'd like to input some contact information you could even go so far as to do uh, an application there oh Yes, Dan reminds me with hand signals here that we are boasting our ability to close loans in 21 days. If you want to learn more about that process, give us a call, 543-5626. Thanks much for being here. We'll see you guys next week.